the last couple months, I would say, have been more difficult, but not even in, at the end of the day, I think we collected the same amount, but just in terms of getting all that, getting it in, collecting it throughout the month, it did take longer the last couple months. But I think just in terms of staying in, in connection, staying in touch and communicating with our residents about both our expectations as well as, you know, what they can expect from us as well as what we expect from them and constantly staying in touch helped to, to you know, really stabilize that collection rate. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Heschel Mangel. Today, we are talking about multifamily investing in Cincinnati, Ohio. We talk a bit about Heschel's story, how he got started. He's doing big stuff. He's a young guy doing great. So that's always always awesome to see and uh, very inspiring and motivating. And we're talking today more specifically about the Cincinnati market, the deals that are to be had there, where the money is uh, is made in Cincinnati, how COVID has impacted, or you know maybe not impacted the market so far. I don't know. You're going to have to t- tune in to uh, to find out, and uh, just more comparing Cincinnati to some of the other, if you will, sexier markets that people are all obsessed with these days. You know, don't get obsessed with the flash. Keep the fundamentals in mind, uh, cash flow, profitability, and uh, you'll be well set. And Cincinnati has those opportunities. And Heschel is out there getting those opportunities for himself and his investors. So today you're going to learn about Cincinnati, Ohio, multifamily investing, why to invest in Cincinnati, what to look for the types of deals that Heschel is doing and uh, are looking to get involved. Certainly recommend once you're done listening, reach out to Heschel and uh, see if you can get involved with what he's up to. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I don't buy in Ohio, but uh, you know, maybe things will change. Who knows? He makes a good case for it. Thank you for tuning into the show. Without any further ado, here we go with Eshel Mangel. Eshel, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure and honor. Thank you for having me. It's great to talk with you. Uh, done some, you've done some great things, and uh, that's what we're going to talk about today before we dive into it. Can you tell our listeners a bit about your background and what you do? So I'm involved in commercial real estate investing. Um, a bit of my background is... Born and bred Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, moved around through my teenage and and younger twenties, all over the place internationally in New York. Eventually, as I decided to settle down and and get more involved in this industry, moved back to Cincinnati, where I was already comfortable with the landscape and you know easier to build um, a network there, and really dove straight into the commercial real estate industry, specifically in multifamily and apartments um, is what I'm focusing on now. And started to do a bit while I was still living abroad, but really wanted to focus on building out operations, you know, from A to Z, from the beginning of sourcing the deals through, you know, asset management, property management, and, you know, till disposition eventually. Um, And felt that that was better suited when I was local um, and can, you know, really get a grasp on the ins and outs of each of the details. Um, so moved back and, you know, really started hard on on networking and building relationships with, with the local players in the market and uh, 
been doing that ever since buying apartments, um, doing renovations, managing them and helping investors invest their cash into multifamily real estate. Nice. Nice. Can you tell us more about the particular types of deals uh, you go after in the multifamily, the strategy that you're pursuing? ABC class, value adds, that kind of thing? Sure. Um, they're all B and C type of properties, which is probably pretty typical of what you hear from most, um, most what I folks do too. doing the same. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, the, the market, I guess, kind of dictates where the focus is. So, um, for example, really until, until, until COVID began, um, we were targeting more value add, more intense uh, renovation plans where we would take properties that were pretty highly distressed and, you know, go in there and totally renovate the project from the beginning, bring it down, rebuild it out to a nicer product. So that's something that we were focusing on for a couple of years and had a pretty good system going for that in terms of getting into a property in a distressed state, um, identifying the issues, and then going ahead and taking care of them, renovating the property, you know, re-renting it out at, at the new product rate, um, and then refinancing and, and kind of doing that project. Once COVID hit and, you know, we saw a market that's no longer stable for whatever that's worth and however long that will last. So we did start now to target more stabilized assets that um, don't carry that type of risk. Um, I mean, every type of product carries its own type of risk and reward, um, but at least that type of risk of we're not really so sure how to continue to underwrite rents and where that will go and um, how much demand there'll be for different types of products. So we want to be we wanted to be able to come in and buy products that were already stabilized, and we've seen how they're performing over the last you know, six, nine, 12 months um, and are comfortable going in there and, and really just taking advantage of what the market is giving us as well in terms of where current debt is at. Um, so, you know, that being an attractive way to get in on a stabilized asset and, and take advantage of, of, of the debt and the market that's presented itself um, and just getting good, solid cash flow deals uh, for the long term. Nice. So it's not, it doesn't have, that doesn't have that quick, you know, that quick refinance play at the same time, it's just stabilized good cash flow for the long term. Now, one of the things that um, I've observed at least so far <clears throat> is that a lot of sellers uh, pricing expectations have not adjusted to COVID, at least in the, you know, the deals and properties that I look at. Has that been your experience uh, there in Ohio? Are you finding deals that, um, you know, have adjusted to say, post-COVID or intra-COVID pricing? Like what's been your experience there? Yeah, I'm not really finding any discount. If any, if there's any change, it's still going up, you know, as interest rates stay low. So uh, there's a lot of people chasing those, those interest rates, which is keeping prices from my experience, you know, going in a direction it's been going all along. But just in, just in terms of, of our underwriting and how we're going to manage the asset, we're still obviously not sure how things will level out and, you know, if rents are going to dip or, you know, there's still unknowns. So we don't want to buy a deal that is going to tie people up for, you know, five, seven years without really knowing what those five, seven years are going to look like. So we're not really seeing discounts in price. Um, although there's actually a property that we're just getting ready to close on that I would say in a way COVID did help me get the deal where there was a bunch of potential buyers lined up to do, uh, to do viewings and showings and um, they couldn't go through with it because of COVID. 
whether they got COVID or they were quarantining or whatever it was. So I managed to speed up the timeline and, and, uh, and win that bid, stepped out for my favor. In terms of discount, yeah, I mean, I'm not finding a, a specific you know, COVID discount other than just regular you know, negotiations. Okay. Now, I mean, one of my, maybe it's a, I don't know, bias or, or something, but you know, I grew up in Pennsylvania and now I live in Virginia in the South. And when I think of Ohio, I think rust belt, the jobs have left, you know, the steel's gone, all that type of stuff. Um, obviously you're, you're investing there. So you feel differently about that. I mean, can you tell us some of the economic say upsides or like what's going on there that would make Ohio like an interesting place to uh, invest? Yeah. So where I'm focused in is the Cincinnati area. So it's like uh, Southern Ohio, Northern Kentucky, um, that kind of metro area where, um, yes, it's no, you know, San Francisco or New York City. Um, It's not a growth market in that type. It's really a typical Midwest market, as you mentioned. Um, What the interesting thing about Cincinnati is for it being, you know, a Midwest rust beltish type of area there is quite a number of both very large you know fortune 500 companies that are based in cincinnati um very prominent hospitals that are based in cincinnati as well as really a growing trend to bring more of the technology space and in startup space to to the cincinnati market and it's really something that i've seen over the past few years where Cincinnati recognizes where the growing markets are and the growing industries are, and, it, and is trying to create their incentive programs and um, cater towards those industries to try to bring more of those companies to the area. It'll never be a coastal market. It's still a Cincinnati, Ohio. But in terms of having that, that balance, again, the risk reward of the, the stable, the stability of the market, as well as you know their, where their passion is and trying to you know, create growth and create new industry. I think it's a very good sweet spot at that point where, you know, prices are not too high. And at the same time, there is growth to be had, although not to that extreme as, as you'll have, you know, even to like an Atlanta area or, you know, maybe a Nashville area, but you still have that where there's not as much, there's not as much pressure coming from, you know, international money flooding into the city in that way. Um, So it keeps prices at bay. And at the same time, it's, very stable and at this and bringing in these catering to these newer industries that are going to allow the city to continue to grow. Now, I always like to ask folks, you know, what their experience has been with their current holdings uh, here during COVID, you know, our collections have held up much better than I expected to be honest at the beginning of, uh, of COVID. Has that been your experience as well? Have you had to go through any particular steps to keep your collections up? And, uh, you know, let's get into that, how how you've uh, navigated these waters with your current holdings. Yeah. So we, as soon as, as COVID hit and, you know, everything pretty much shut down, we did right away, put out a message to all of our residents, recognizing the difficulty of the situation and trying to assist in any way we can, which, you know, included uh, putting them in touch if they needed the help, whether it was with, you know, filling out their, their forms to be able to get the, uh, the direct deposits that they were giving or other local organizations that we knew, you know, would be helping uh, such people that were in a tough situation with paying off the rent or utilities or whatever it is they needed help with. So we did do that right away and really, you know, made it a mission to reach out to everybody personally to see if they needed any assistance 
in that regard. And if we can help them, put them in contact with, you know, a caseworker or nonprofit that was, you know, distributing money of their own funds, as well as funds that that they received through the, uh, through the last stimulus bill that was passed. And that really helped people, first of all, know that we cared, you know, to reach out and see if they needed assistance, as well as collect um, rents. And yeah, as, as you said, it's been, we've been pleasantly surprised as to the, the rate of, of collections. It stayed just as high as it always was. The last couple months, I would say, have been more difficult, but not even in, in, in at the end of the day, I think we collected the same amount, but just in terms of getting all that, getting it in, collecting it throughout the month, it did take longer the last couple months. But I think just in terms of staying in, in connection, staying in touch and communicating with our residents about both our expectations as well as you know what they can expect from us as well as what we expect from them and constantly staying in touch help to, to you know really stabilize that collection rate. Mm, okay. Have you been able to, you know, process evictions? There has been the the CDC uh, eviction moratorium, but you know, tenants still have to qualify for that. That's not just like a blanket thing. So, is that still an option, Cincinnati? Yeah. So we're operating now in uh, four different counties, and evictions are open i guess in all four counties there's still nobody that really has a clear handle i don't mean the counties themselves really have a real handle about what's supposed to happen <laughs> you know this is what both what i've seen as well as what, what my lawyers are saying and, and even from judge to judge everybody has their own way of interpreting the law i guess um but they are open we have been processing evictions for those that that had to come to you know so they're still going on you know that's uh the process is taking a little longer just because there's a backlog and you know a lot of a lot of folks over at the city offices are not working in office so things get delayed and you kind of just have to work on their timelines but um they have been going through so i don't know if there's a, a rhyme or reason to it but that's just uh, what's been happening at least mm, yeah it's uh navigating these waters is tough now you know, while we're here before we get to the three questions uh, i ask every guest on the show i wanted to to give you a shot, take it, I don't know, do something kind of weird and say, you know, pretend I'm an investor who so far I've only invested in deals in DFW, right? But you want to pitch me on your area, Cincinnati, your deals, what you're doing and, you know, show me whatever the potential upside or uh, reduction of risk is, whatever. What, you know, pros would you say uh, your area has compared to a DFW, let's say, since it's such a a sexy multifamily market (laughs) these days? I would say it's the the stabilization of the cash flow, like really solid, stabilized cash flow opportunities. Um, And we're finding opportunities where we'll find smaller owners that haven't been managing very effectively or have kind of made it their hobby. And we'll come in and with our processes can come in and bring a more professional management that drives the value of the property at the same time that we're, you know, getting this amazing cash from day one. So what we're targeting, what we're targeting right now is is not something that you'll have to wait, you know, two years till we can, you know, recoup some of that money or from day one, the moment we enter the property, there's cash flow coming through very solid, healthy cash flow. And that's something you can expect from day one, as well as continuing to drive the values of the properties that we're managing through the systems that we put in place, uh, through the processes that we have in place. And it's very, it's very uniform. And you can expect, you know, a very uniform product from us, both as 
in relations to our investors, as well as in relations to our tenants and residents. Comfortability and, st- and stability. Nice. DFW has, uh, and you know, those kind of sexier areas, they're being sexy has caused prices to go up and that does impact uh, cash flows, particularly early on before any value. Exactly. Added. Right. Yeah. Well, right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Heschel, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Let's do it. First one, what's the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Yeah, so in relation to, to my business, obviously, uh, the best investment I've ever made is the investment I'm in technology. Um, from the beginning, um, from the beginning, I set out to invest in, and try to look out for different software and programs that, that we can um, that would help us create a streamlined process. Um, and that has definitely allowed us to continue to grow at a, at a pace that's both sustainable, but also, you know, continued growth. Um, so where we don't have to get, you know, logged and, and bogged into the details, we can, we really leverage the use of technology to uh, allow us to have our systems in place and to make it repeatable and uniform. And this way we can focus on continuing to grow the business. Mm. So are there any packages, uh, software packages in particular, that stick out in your mind as um, some of your better investments or some that you would uh, recommend? Uh, I mean, the first thing we probably did, which is a CRM and that, and being able to customize that to our needs and all levels of, of, you know, property management and investor management. So the program that we use is pipe drive. Okay. And yeah, I mean, we're continuing to develop it, you know, as, as we go every day, we try to, you know, tweak it a little more, see what else we can do to become even more streamlined. But it's definitely allowed us to, to, to leverage that to focus on growing the business as opposed to, you know, keeping tabs on all the nitty gritty details. Nice. So I've, I use active campaign. I've talked with others who you, who use pipe drive and then, you know, other options as well. I've tried other software packages. Did you vet any others in when you were making that decision or, you know, I guess what about pipe drive? did it for you yeah we did i'm trying to remember what the ones we used were um at the end there of the day about a thousand came, options so <laughs> i know I, I don't even remember what the there was a few a hub spot i don't know there were there were a few that we tried um it just came to you know the user friendliness i guess or like comfortability of of navigating the the pipelines and being able to customize and automate things uh based on what we needed um you know the ability to a lot of it was workflow automation, which I felt was just kind of you know, the way they structured it was something that was very useful to us. Um, you know, where we have pretty much any, at all parts of communication that we'll have with it, with a resident or a manager, it's all automated. Um, you know, so they know that we're responding in a timely manner and getting them the information they need in a timely manner, um, getting them the right information and, uh, in an efficient manner so that that's that was a huge uh, a huge lift nice I've, I've only i haven't heard those software packages being used in the context of you know resident management and things like right that. yeah it's, cool. I, don't, I don't think it was even i don't know if it was built like that to begin with i mean it's it's more of a sales sales manager but uh um we've been to customize it and and, and make it fit for you know resident management as well so Interesting. it's been huge Wow, I wonder if the uh, pipe drive folks know that that's a uh, potential use case of their technology. They might like to hear that. Yeah, maybe they can give me some kickback. 
So we had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? Yeah, I mean, uh, the jury is still out. I'm sure there's many worse investments <laughs> I'll continue to make, uh, hopefully for many long years. Um, but if I had to choose one, going cheap on contracting work, trying to, I, I guess it would be the lack of investment there. So not investing in proper in proper um, contracting work. Um, has has been something I I am I'm not proud of and something I won't do again. Um, so I guess how do you know is that the classic you know get three bids and normally you go for the middle one you get three bids and go for the lowest one and it, did it not turn out? I mean what did, what did that mean for you in terms of uh, you know steps that you? Yeah, it was I guess to be cutting corners on a, on a scope of work first of all trying to see what you can get away with not doing and then the second part of that is then getting uh going to people that maybe you should have done more vetting on about how you can trust them um, and if you can trust them and that would really be my suggestion is it's not necessarily really about price but one of the benefits that I've had about because I'm I'm living local um, is I can really network and learn the who's who I'm not relying even on other people but um I have a much better understanding about who's trustworthy and who isn't. And I can do a much better job at, at vetting that out as well. Um, so more, more than, than about just price, it's also about um, working with people that you're comfortable with and, and, and you feel are honest and trustworthy and, and, that you, and that you would trust on your own, you know, in your own personal life. So wisdom comes from experience. So that's it. Yeah. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Go get what you want. I mean, if you set out, if you create a vision in your mind and, and go and get it and, and don't stop till you get it. Don't be afraid to tell people what you want. Uh, don't be afraid to, to fight for what you, for, for your vision. I found that, you know, trying, almost, trying to be too flexible almost can end up hurting you more than you think it's, it's benefiting you. So people tend to, to want to, to be super flexible for, for others because they think it's, you know, then, you know, I'm coming off as a good guy. Um, but people want to know that you have a vision and you, you know, you have a, a way that you want it to be and, and they want to see that you're fighting for that. And, uh, you know, I think that's an important lesson that I learned, um, not to be scared to, to tell people that, you know, this is what I want and this is what I'm going to get basically, you know, so we do to get there as opposed to trying to act all nimble. Um, but in truth, then nobody's happy. Nobody gets what they want. <laughs> nice. Well, Heschel, thank you for joining us today, teaching us about your business and your market and all that stuff. If folks want to get in touch with you afterward, if they want to you know, find you on the internet, where can they do that? LinkedIn is probably the best and easiest place to find me. Yeah, feel free to reach out, message me, whatever it is. And uh, I'm there. Awesome. Well, there will be a link in the show notes for folks to find you there. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying this show, please leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated. It helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. We are live streaming on YouTube. So if you'd like to join the conversation live, look us up on YouTube, Passive Wealth Strategy. Hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell and all that great stuff the uh, YouTubers say. Leave a like and a comment and that good stuff. And uh, we look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for tuning in once again. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week. We'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.